Welcome everybody, good to see you. We're gonna start out with At Calvary, At Calvary. Jesus, I shall see, and I know. 
Jesus I shall see, and the look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. will be a day, amen, that all us Christians look forward to. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 19, Luke chapter number 19. <coughs> Luke chapter number 19. chapter number 19, uh, here we have the story of Zacchaeus, Luke chapter number 19, starting in verse number one. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and was he was rich, and he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide by thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house for so much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. I want to talk a little bit this morning on the seeking savior, the seeking savior. As I said here, we have the story of Zacchaeus meeting Jesus. Now, most Christians are familiar with this story and the Bible tells us there in verse number two, that Zacchaeus was chief among the publicans. A publican was a tax collector. He worked for the government of Rome and collected taxes from his own people. Now, the way this would go would be that the publican would get an area uh, and he would be responsible for collecting the taxes in that area. And the Roman government would say, we want this amount of money. Just, just for an example, to put it in our terms, they could say, well, you have this area here and we want $10,000 from you. So you would have to collect at $10,000 and give it to the government of Rome. But the way these publicans made money was they were allowed to charge whatever they wanted. So say you charged enough where you got $20,000 you would keep 10 and give 10 to the Roman government. And so when you think about that, I mean, they basically, the Jews looked at these publicans as traitors. 
because they were going against their own people. They were taking money from their own people and that's how they lived. And, and so during that time, uh, Jews looked at the publicans as the lowest of the lowest because here's the people that were basically taking money from their own people and giving it to the enemy, giving it to the Roman government. So I'm sure that when you look at him, uh, you know, people probably thought, man, this, this is the worst guy. Because notice the Bible tells us that he was chief among the publicans. Now, that means he was a principal tax collector. A principal tax collector a lot of times was somebody that basically he had people under him. So not only was he making money in his area, he was making getting a cut off of other areas for those people that were working under him. So this man, I mean, the Bible said he was rich. He had a lot of money. And during that time, the Bible talks about them uh, being in Jericho. Now, during this time in the days of Jesus, Jericho was a resort area. And, and a lot of people that had money lived there. And so think about the richness that this man had. He could buy just about anything he wanted. But we see one thing in verse number three that he couldn't buy. Notice what the verse says there. It says that he was little of stature. He was short. You know, no telling the, you know, people called him shorty or small fry or, or something to that effect. They probably made fun of him, midget, whatever it was. They, they made fun of this man because this man had a lot of wealth, but he was, he was small. And the Bible tells us that he sought Jesus because he wanted to see who he was. And when we look at this, we, you know, we have to know this. He wouldn't seek Jesus on his own. He had to hear about it. Now I'm wondering, you know, who did he hear from? How did he know about this? And, and I, I'm thinking of a couple people that he might have found out from. Matthew, one of the disciples, was a tax collector. He left that to become a disciple of Christ. And I wonder if he knew Matthew or maybe he just heard about Matthew. And then when we look at this story, if you go back before that in the last part of chapter number 18, we hear about a blind man begging and, and getting his sight. And, and basically, you know, he, he didn't just keep quiet. He told people, he followed Jesus. You know, maybe you heard about the miracle that Jesus performed on this blind man. Or maybe because the Bible's clear, you know, wherever he went, there was a crowd. And so maybe he heard from some of them, but somehow he heard about Jesus. Some way he heard about Jesus. And so when we look at this story, uh, you know, for us, as I said, to seek Jesus, we got to hear about him. And the Bible tells us that he could not. He was trying to get to him, but he could not for the press. That's talking about that crowd. He couldn't get there because there was a crowd. You know, you got to think about this. The average height of normal adults, and here he is, a small guy. He can't get in. He's probably trying to look through and try to get in to see Jesus, and he can't because of the press, because of all those people. Now, he had a crowd that followed him all through his earthly ministry, but I want you to know that everybody in that crowd wasn't following him for the right reasons. Now, there was that first part of the crowd that, you know, when we look at thinking about the Pharisees and, and other religious leaders, 
the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, why were they following? Well, they were trying to trip him up. They were trying to get him to show that he wasn't who he said he is. And of course, they failed miserably because he was God in the flesh. And then there was that other crowd that thought, you know, this is the Messiah, but their attitude of the Messiah was that he was going to come to this earth and he was going to defeat the enemy and he was going to be the king of the Jews. He was going to rule and reign over them. So they were looking for that. They didn't realize that he had to come first as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And so when we think of that part of the crowd, they didn't have it right. And then there's some that just wanted to see him perform miracles. They just wanted to see all the excitement going on, but they didn't, as far as being wanting a savior, in that respect, they didn't. Then there were some, as I said, that wanted to have healing. They wanted to be healed. And so you had all this crowd that was following, but many of them were following him for the wrong reasons. What they should have followed him for was to have a savior, that they should want a savior because he was the savior for the world. Now, Zacchaeus, the Bible tells us, was determined to get to him. Notice it says he ran before. In other words, he tried to get in front. Now, I don't know if there was a big, long line of people on both sides and Jesus was walking in the middle. I, I, I don't know. But this seemed to have that effect that he saw him and he couldn't, he was kind of trying to look over people. And so he started running and he ran to the sycamore tree. And the Bible tells us that he climbed up into that sycamore tree. Now I want you to think about this. This sycamore tree, they grew to about 30 to 40 feet tall. And they had a slick bark. It was hard to get up that tree. Plus the first limb was usually pretty high. So he had a hard time. It took a lot of effort from him to be able to get onto that first limb. And so we see here that he is determined to see Jesus. He's determined as much, whatever it takes, I'm going to do that. You know, so here's the short guy trying to climb up that tree and then finally gets to that limb and, and pulls himself up and gets up on that limb. Now, there were probably many people at that time, if, if they saw what was going on, they were probably laughing at him as he was trying to get up in the tree and everything else. And, you know, here comes Jesus. And, and you know, we, we think about this man. I want you to think about this man, Zacchaeus. This man had money galore. He could buy just about anything he wanted. And we think of this adult male climbing a tree. Now listen, when I was young, I loved to climb trees. Amen. Children climb trees. Now unless you're going up there to cut limbs out, adults aren't going to be climbing trees. And so this was showing humility. Here he was, this, I mean, he could have paid, with all his money he could pay, but when you go up that tree and you, you uh, get his attention and, and bring him to me, or he could have maybe paid some people in the crowd back off so I can see him. But no, he came in humility. He humbled himself. He climbed up in that tree just to see Jesus. And when we look at this, I, I want you to know that he came to him 
Like a child, he, he climbed that tree. Now, let's go back to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse number 17. And look what Jesus said. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. You have to come in childlike faith to Christ. And so here's Zacchaeus climbing up that tree, probably exhausted, just so he could see Jesus. Now, Jesus came to where he was and saw him. Notice what it says here in verse number five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must abide at thy house. Notice he said, make haste and come down. Now, in order to seek Jesus, as I said, you have to hear about him. And so after he heard about him, here he's seeking him. And then he's telling him, you know, basically Jesus is saying, come down, make haste. That means hurry. Amen. Quickly come down. And you know what? When the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and tells us, he doesn't say, you know, that you need to be saved next week, next year, next decade. He's talking about you need him now. Amen. It's an immediate thing. When that conviction sets in, Christ is seeking to save you. He's not seeking to save you 10 years from now. He wants to save you now. And so here is Zacchaeus. And it says, for today, I must abide at thy, at thy house. Today. He's wanting to save you today. If you're lost and you've never trusted Christ your Savior, he doesn't want to wait 10 years to save you. He wants to save you now. But you have to obey him. That's what he does. Notice it says there in verse number six, and he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. He didn't put it off. He didn't wait. But aren't you glad we serve a merciful Savior, a gracious Savior, a loving Savior? He came to seek you. He sought you out and he wants to save you. And notice here, it's immediate. Come now, make haste. And he obeyed that command. When the Holy Spirit convicted my heart, he wasn't saying, Mark, you need to be saved 10 years from now, he said, you need to be saved now. When I trusted him as my savior, immediately he saved me. Notice he says there in verse nine, for to, uh, this day salvation has come into this house. So when we look at this and see that, you know what? He, he made haste and he came down immediately. He listened, obeyed Jesus. But I want you to notice verse number seven. And when they saw, who's they? Well, those religious leaders, the crowd that was there that didn't know Christ their Savior. When they saw, they all murmured saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. They were always getting on Jesus's case about being with sinners. Well, that's the only kind he saves, sinners. Now, the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, what I find interesting 
when we look at Luke chapter 19 and have this story about Zacchaeus, I want you to go back just one chapter. You know, we've already looked already about what it said about having that childlike faith. I'm, I'm almost thinking chapter 18, the parables that Jesus talks about sets the stage for Zacchaeus. Because I want you to notice what it says here in verse number 10. Now, let's go to verse number nine. It says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves and were righteous and despised others. Now here he's talking about those religious leaders. So he's giving them a parable. This is a story that has a spiritual truth, a meaning to it. And notice what this story is about. Two men went up into the temple to pray. And one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Well, Zacchaeus was a publican. Notice what it says here. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Now notice what it says here. Now this publican has an eye problem. I mean, this uh, Pharisee has an eye problem. It's all about him. Notice, I fast twice in a week. I give of all uh, tithes of all that I possess. Now look at the reaction of the publican. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here's what Jesus said. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Isn't it interesting that Jesus used this parable right before he would save Zacchaeus? Amen? It's almost like he, all of a sudden that thought might have hit those Pharisees after they said what they said of saying, ooh. And think, here's Zacchaeus. He said, he said that he had to come to his house. Look what he says here. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. He made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And then notice verse number eight. I want you to see this. Verse number eight. Verse number eight. He says, and Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Now, think about this. What do we see here? This was a man that made his money off of everybody else. This is a man that basically stole money from his own people. And all of a sudden, when Christ comes his way and reveals himself to him, what does Zacchaeus say? He basically says, I'm going to give this all back. I'm going to make it right. What do we see here? We see a changed life, amen, a new creature. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Amen. Old things are passed away. All the, behold, all things are become new. We see a changed life here in Zacchaeus. He changes. His life changes. Amen. Now, we see here that Jesus tells him, verse number nine, this day is salvation come to this house. Amen. This is that assurance. Listen, child of God, God wants you to be saved, but he also wants you to know that you're saved. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that you may believe in the Son of God. Now, look at verse number 10. Verse number 10, it says there, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his purpose in coming to this earth. Amen? He was to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to die for our sins that we might have life. And he came to save sinners. He's still doing that today. Amen? Now, the Bible is clear that there's only one way to heaven. Acts 4.12 says this, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. I want you to notice a few other things here in this parable. As I said, Jesus basically tells this story about the publican. And I want you to notice the interesting thing. Do you know what the name Zacchaeus means? The name Zacchaeus means pure. Not till Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus was anything but pure. He had to be one of the dirtiest men in the planet, stealing from his own people. Look at his life. His life did not match up with his name. It's interesting in the Bible, many of the people that you, you see living and what their names meant, a lot of times those names match that character. But here, Zacchaeus, it was totally different until this day when God gloriously saved him. Amen? Because what happened was now when God looked down at him, he didn't see Zacchaeus' wickedness. What he saw was Christ's righteousness. Amen? When a person trusts Christ as their Savior, they trade their sins, which Christ died for, for Christ's righteousness. So here he became a new man. And then I got the thinking about Jericho. It happened in Jericho. A lot of times you kind of wonder, well, you know, is there a reason maybe it happened here? And when we think of Jericho, what do we think of? We think of the Old Testament when the people of Israel, Joshua was marching around that city, right? That walled city that was filled with wickedness. And of course, God brought them walls down. 
And that city afterwards was cursed by God. But yet now we see that Jesus in the New Testament comes in this place. I got to looking up that word, Jericho. And the Old Testament meaning is basically it's moon. Now you know a moon, the moon is the, a dark place. Amen. It is filled with darkness. And Jericho was a dark place. It was filled with darkness. It was filled with wickedness. And when you look and you see that moon up there, you say, well, I see, I see light there. I can see it. No, what you see is the reflection from the sun. See, the sun shines on that moon and it reflects that. And that's the reason we see it. And when you're born a sinner, you're in darkness. And when Christ saves you, our job as Christians is to reflect his light, the light of the S-O-N, sun. And I look at his life and boy, I bet it changed. Now in the New Testament, I also looked, I looked up Jericho there and, and there was a, a reference to a place of fragrance. Now fragrance is a sweet or delicate odor. You ever been in a flower shop and you smell those flowers? Isn't that a wonderful smell? It just seems to light up the room when you smell those flowers. Or have you ever been in a place and someone comes walking in and you smell the perfume? Some people, I need to tell you, you put on too much. Amen. Sometimes you can smell a person from the other room. It's so bad. But we need sometimes to put that perfume on, right? So people can smell. But I thought of this, this story about that. Something like perfume compounded to give off a sweet or pleasant odor. Do you remember Mary when she busted up that alabaster box and poured that spikener, that expensive oil on Christ? Can you imagine the smell in that room? Can you imagine that lingered for a while? All of a sudden people, what is that? What is that? And I started to think about this, this fragrance. The word exude means discharge a smell slowly and steadily. You know what? Our lives should exude. Jesus. When we're close to God, when we're when we're like so close to him that we can walk into a room and people feel his presence. And I know many of you know some of the great men of God that have preached this gospel. And I remember the first time I got to hear J. L. Smith preach. That man loved God. He exuded Jesus. I remember after the service, we met in this building and he was in there. And, uh, 
I remember when he walked into that room. When he walked into that room, all of a sudden you just felt God's presence there. That's what Jesus wants from us. That people could just all of a sudden, because of the relationship, the close, intimate relationship we have with Christ, that we, we could walk into a room and people would say, something's changed around here. Amen? That's the way we should be as Christians. Child of God, do you reflect the light of the sun? Do you exude Jesus? We should. Lost person, has there been a time where the Holy Spirit came and convicted you of your sin? helped you to see that you were a sinner and in need of the Savior and pointed you to that Savior? Has there been a time where you trusted Christ as your Savior? If not, don't put it off. Today, today is the day of salvation. Why don't you trust him as your Savior? Why don't you bow your head and admit, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that you came and died for my sins. And Lord, I'm not trusting in my good works. I'm not trusting in my baptism. I'm not trusting in my denomination, being a church member. I'm putting my faith and trust in you. And you know what? He'll save you. Why don't you do that now? If you have done that and you trust him as your Savior, the Bible says that a vow shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. He will save you. God bless you. Hope to hear you. I hope hope you come back to hear us tonight at six o'clock.